0: Today on Agnews Daily. A gentleman named Villa Lobos is the Minister of Agriculture in Mexico. And our Secretary of Agriculture, Bill has spoken with him a number of times.
1: January 11th, Wednesday edition of the Agnews Daily podcast. Tanner and Delaney back today to share some great news headlines to our listeners. Welcome back, Delaney.
2: Thank you. I was in Indiana yesterday chatting with a couple of groups, uh, crop insurance, customer appreciation events, talking about big picture macro outlook for 2023,
1: Tanner. That sounds like a mouthful.
2: It was. We talked about interest rates. We talked about inflation. We talked about input costs for 2023. Lots to unpack this year.
1: Yikes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a year that a lot of details are going to have to be measured so that way you know where you're best positioned on your farm. It's uh, kind of nice though that some parts of the U.S. are getting some measurable precipitation. However, we're looking to turn off dry here for a little bit. We talked yesterday about the red flag warnings in much of the southern plains. Well, those are still in place, the any winds 25 to 35 miles per hour, some exceeding 55 miles per hour. And now that relative humidity dropped from 15 to 11%. Obviously, that's not going to be good. But still up here, Minnesota, Wisconsin area, still having those winter weather advisories in effect until mid-morning tomorrow, expecting wintery mix. So pretty calm again, two days in a row.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting, Tanner, just reading some news uh, yesterday, looking at La Nina weather patterns. And some analysts are suggesting or meteorologists are suggesting that that pattern is actually starting to decline. The main driver of weather across North America for the last two winters, of course, has been La Nina. And we are, by all their accounts, really starting to see that decline. But they're saying we're not going to switch right away into an El Nino weather pattern. More than likely, they're expecting to see neutral conditions this summer, and so we could just see kind of a quote-unquote normal year this year before we see perhaps switching into an El Nino pattern later in the year 2023, if not early 2024.
1: Yeah, that uh, falling in neutral, right? That's what they call that, falling yeah. into neutral? Yes. Well, then definitely will be an interesting growing season for us. Well, you talked about the former Brazilian President Bolsonaro on Monday, I believe. Well, he has found refuge among a host of supporters in Orlando, in a suburb there just outside of Disney World. The controversial leader is now uh, taking and seeking shelter in the United States shortly after President Luis was sworn into office. He has gotten away from the area to where people have now stormed the building. But in his week since being in the U.S., he's been spotted like a regular U.S. citizen, visiting the grocery store, eating Kentucky fried chicken, (laughs) posing for selfies at the end of his driveway. There's a lot of Brazilian natives that now live in the U.S. stating that their kids didn't want to see Mickey Mouse. They wanted to go see Bolsonaro. So it is Quite interesting, he is pictured here in this article outside of what they call his modest Orlando home. He is now here and will continue to face scrutiny, obviously, over what is happening to the Brazilian government. But for now, he is seeking shelter in the United States, in Orlando, outside of Disneyland. So if anybody wants a picture with him, it sounds like you would just hang out at the end of his driveway, Delaney, and he'd be more than happy to do that. Signing autographs for his supporters, and he has marked where people are coming from, reported or told this reporter here, They've come as far as New York City to see me. So it's kind of fun for him. And he's enjoying his time in Orlando.
2: Does his house actually look modest, Tanner?
1: In the picture, it did look like a, a two-story, two-car garage, modest home. Yes, it did.
2: Okay, interesting. Well, if you ever head to Disney, I guess we've got people heading probably to Disney for Commodity Classic. Maybe they can make a pit stop at his uh, residence.
1: Maybe that'll be one of the Commodity Classic afternoon tours.
2: Oh, that's interesting. I like that idea. (laughs) Well, Tanner, I'm going to take things here to the general economy, because that's what I focused a lot of my energy on yesterday, chatting with folks in Indiana We have on Thursday, the latest consumer price index data that will be released. And according to Jerome Powell, that's going to be their mark to decide what to do with interest rates moving forward. He said that's going to provide them a better perspective on whether an easing of hawkish monetary policy is justified. And Wall Street in particular is paying close attention to this announcement made by Jerome Powell. He also said that his comments could reassure traders or perhaps add to their hike fears. But his initial comments did seem to calm Wall Street down on Monday. And that's going to be really what the market is focused on tomorrow as a general economy is concerned, Tanner. But we also have the WASDI report tomorrow for agricultural traders. We saw USDA cut corn exports estimates by 75 million bushels in December. And it's largely expected by analysts that another reduction may be coming on Thursday's report as corn export commitments are down 47% from this time last year, losing bushels and business mostly to cheaper prices in Brazil. If you look at those FOB prices, it is, it is significantly cheaper looking at Argentina, Brazil, and Ukraine. But Dow Jones survey of 19 analysts expects USDA to increase its estimates of US ending corn stocks from 1.257 billion bushels to 1.302 billion bushels. So Reduction in ending stocks there is expected. Ethanol is also expected to be actually a little bump for demand reflected in tomorrow's report. So, of course, everyone will be watching to see how that gets released at 11 a.m. Central time tomorrow. Uh, But demand for soybeans has also been fairly active here for the first couple of months of 20 or first couple of months, I should say, of the marketing year 2022-2023, which started, of course, in September And they're saying that should limit any increase in USDA's ending stock estimates. So we should expect to see ending stocks to either stay the same, if not maybe get shifted lower just a tad. But the bearish concern for soybeans is that, of course, Brazil is going to produce a record soybean crop, and that could impact some of the international demand that we could see reflected on that report tomorrow, Tanner.
1: Yeah, and just a reminder to our listeners, tomorrow's episode will come out later in the day so we can have that latest information to share with you. Delaney, I'm talking sports and farmland. Joe Burrow, Blake Griffin, among other athletes, are investing in farm ground. Petrikov Co. is coordinating farm purchases for a group of roughly 25 athletes. They're looking to acquire $5 million with farm ground. They've purchased one and are eventually looking for four more to round out their purchase. The Big four sports are trying something new, and that's farming, uh, including Kevin Gossman, Anders Lee, around 20 other athletes now, after those names, are purchasing this ground. The first group, first piece was a 104 acre corn and soybean farm in northern Iowa through the special purpose vehicle of that company. Kemba Walker, Chris Middleton, Zach Ertz, Sam Hubbard, also uh, athlete names that will be buying in. They plan to lease this land land to farmers. They're going to seek their single-digit percentage and their return on total investment. And their plan, like I said, is to purchase four more additional farms. So it'll be interesting here. They've even looked into watermelon farms in Oregon, Delaney, which tend obviously to be smaller but offer a higher percent of return as it is a specialty crop. They plan to have a growing portfolio. They like to work with theirs. Mark Patrick The front office sports official and founder of this fund said that he felt the market is running too hot to avoid. So he's encouraging athletes to get into this space. So Delaney will keep a close eye on this to find out where purchases two through five for the next four of this sports group are going to land. But the first one is 104 acres in northern Iowa.
2: That's certainly an interesting story, Tanner.
1: Yes, it is. I couldn't I couldn't not share it.
2: Those folks are going to have to consider, though, that 2023 is likely going to bring higher input costs. We've seen finally now some budgets coming out from the University of Illinois, Purdue University, uh, Iowa State University. They've all put forth their expected projections for farmland returns, and things are looking really tight, Tanner. For example, in central Illinois, on highly productive farmland, which is, of course, supposed to get the most bushels per acre, they're expecting to see lower returns. Uh, Only expected to see a $25 per acre return for corn soybean rotation acres, much lower than the return they're saying, of course, in 2021 when we had a record $413 per acre by comparison. When you look at corn input costs specifically, they're saying corn input costs have jumped 44% since 2020. And soybeans have jumped 38%. So when you think back to 2020, average corn input cost was around $731 per acre. Here in 2023, they're forecasting it to be at $1,053 per acre. On the soybean side of things, not quite as big of a jump there between the last four years. 2020 was at $501 per acre. 2023 is going to be at $693 per acre acre. So certainly a lot to consider, Tanner, as you make those marketing decisions or as you're thinking ahead to what are you going to plant this year? Uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, with these higher input costs for corn, does that pull some acres away from corn?
1: Yeah, that will be quite interesting. I know we talked a little bit on Monday about that. When do when do the markets start to buy acres and if cost of production is going to be that high? Certainly, that will play a factor into it. Well, I tell you what, the FFA had a little bit of a hiccup, and this applies to agriculture because of transportation issue. A lot of trade shows, a lot of farmer meetings, and a lot of grower production breakthroughs are being released this time of year. The FFA stated that they paused all domestic flights after their computer program failed. So Wednesday morning, following the computer failure, it impacted flights all around the country. As of this morning at 8:15 Eastern time, the nation's two busiest hubs, both Newark and Atlanta, are officially back online. They've expected departures to resume this morning at around 9 a.m. Eastern Time. This was an effect to the notice to all air missions or no system it's responsible for sending out flight hazards and real time restrictions to pilots and administration officials. Prior to flights taking off the FFA is, of course, still working on fully restoring this as we speak. But they are continuing to monitor why this had happened and to protect itself from happening again in the future, so we had Southwest Airlines a couple of weeks ago have an issue with their system and now FAA of them over all airports and flights, their monitoring system that would tell you if bad weather is ahead went down. So everything was grounded there for about a 12 hour time period delay.
2: The airlines just can't catch a break. Can they Tanner?
1: Nope. Makes me nervous as we get ready to head off to trade shows as to how much grace time we're going to need before we get to the responsible responsibilities that we have ahead of us.
2: Well, I think I'd be paying extra close attention to the refund and cancellation and credit policies because the gate agents aren't usually quick to volunteer any sort of like flight credit or help with other arrangements. But I think oftentimes we're entitled to those. So I've been opting for driving a lot more lately, to be honest with you
1: yeah we'll see if i can get uh, get myself on the road maybe more than on the air but the last piece i have today is just a couple more updates coming out of ces we've talked about this almost all week sensitive is a new company it's a lightweight scouting robot that moves autonomously through the fields scanning all vegetation to provide early signs of weed pressure issues that has been unveiled yarbo is a robot which is a three in one lawn care unit that is capable of snow blowing lawn mowing and leaf blowing and I tell you what the videos of it moving snow really makes it look like a nice piece of equipment to have the uh, foodies are also able to now take a look at the check mark food locker this is from Cargill it is a contactless smart food locker that is launching this year to allow those of you that order food to pick it up in a much cleaner fashion and then of course the new rise garden which is a modular indoor hydroponic garden designed to fit into any room of the American home. So a couple of neat pieces of technology coming out of CES that I wanted to share with the listeners. But that's what I've got for today, Delaney. Do you have anything left?
2: I think aside from markets, I am good to go, Tanner. So what do you say we hop in here? Let's do it. But we finally are starting to see a little green across the screen here on this Wednesday morning as we just have seen the opening bell here. March corn is up about two and three quarters cents at 657 and three quarters. New crop corn up two and a half cents at 591 and a half. March soybeans up 11 and three quarters cents on the morning at 1496 and three quarters. New crop soybeans up six cents at 1396 and a half. And finally, as we look in the wheat complex, they're really the only market trading lower here in the Chicago and hard red winter wheat complex. March hard red winter wheat down three, three, three quarters, four cents right around there at eight oh seven and three quarters. As we hop over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we're also seeing mostly weakness across the screen here. Feb live cattle down a nickel at a buck fifty seven seventy two. March feeders down 25 cents on the morning at $1.8625. And February lean hogs down 42 cents this morning at 79.37. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to a conversation you guys had with Mark Mueller of Iowa Corn Growers Association. Today, we're getting detailed insight into the Mexico GMO corn trade. Mark Mueller is joining us, who is a part of Iowa Corn, as well as the U.S. Trade Grain Council. Mark, could you give us a little detail on your background?
0: Uh, My name is Mark Mueller. I am a farmer in northeast Iowa in Bremer County. And I am a director from northeast Iowa for the Iowa Corn Growers Association. I'm also a director uh, for the U.S. Grains Council in Washington, D.C. Uh, The U.S. Grains Council is entity with offices around the world that handles uh, trade issues, disputes, uh, provides advice for the federal government and private organizations, and also distributes uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture dollars on programs around the world. Well, Mark, this is a pleasure to have you on the podcast because we've been reporting a lot lately
1: on the trade agreements with Mexico between them and the United States, especially around GMO crops. And we're going to leverage today your connections to the ag industries especially corn growers and u.s grain councils to get a little bit more of an insight on there would you be able to give us kind of a, a 5 foot view overview as to where we're sitting today
0: yes mexico is the single biggest customer of corn in all forms for the corn grower from the united states uh, once in a while china pops up in there when they go on a buying spree but for the most part Mexico is our best customer, our closest neighbor. Uh, The logistics work out better for dealing with Mexico than just about anybody else. Uh, NAFTA simplified things a lot. And then NAFTA 2.0, which was the USMCA treaty, made things simpler still. Having said all that, there has been a bunch of anti-GMO decrees issued by the president of Mexico, AMLO, as Lopez Obrador. And he has said that starting in, I think, uh, January of 2024, no GMO corn of any kind in any form can come across the border. That uh, could mean cattle that are fed with GMO corn. It certainly refers to corn for human consumption. Anlo's wife is very much an anti-GMO apostle. And she has perhaps influenced him into issuing these decrees that forbid GMO corn from coming to Mexico, which which uh, has billed itself as the birthplace of corn. That's true; corn originated in Central America, but corn has been fiddled with by man for five thousand years, and biotechnology, the GMO tools that we use are simply one more tool that we would have gotten to eventually. The anti-GMO movement sounds very popular with the crowd. It sounds great, but nobody's given any thought to the economic consequences that will happen from that. Let's just say they want all non-GMO corn imported into their country. We don't grow enough non-GMO corn. Even just for their food consumption, human consumption, not uh, animals, we don't produce enough non-GMO corn. Their response has been, well, we'll just grow it all ourselves. I have seen donkeys pulling carts along the road in Mexico with sheaves of corn on the back. They are not technologically capable of growing enough corn to suit their own needs, GMO or not. And they don't have the necessary climate to grow all that they need. The private sector in Mexico is scared. They, especially those that um, say food processors, uh, livestock industry, um, they know full well that they can't get enough corn to raise their own meat needs. They can't raise enough non-GMO corn to take care of their basic food needs, which would be uh, tortillas. You know, they use tortillas like we use white bread. There has been a couple of economic studies that show that in the year after such a decree would go into effect, tortilla prices go up 60 percent in the first year and probably 40 to 50 percent the years after. There would literally be food lines. And when you have food lines, you have social unrest. These don't seem to be troubling the anti GMO crowd down in Mexico. Uh, for one thing, AMLO won't be in office uh, after the decree goes into place. His term ends a few months after that. But the folks that uh, run food companies, whether it's a meat packing plant or a feedlot or the shippers or um, folks that run the grocery store chains, the food network, they see problems and they have come to both Iowa corn in particular and corn growers across the country and the U.S. government saying, give us arguments to change minds of the people in the government uh, to point out to them what a train wreck this is going to be. Um, So we've been trying to work behind the scenes. If it became publicly known that uh, we're advocating for GMO crops in general, and corn in particular, to enter Mexico, there'd be more of a backlash. you know the American farmer is just pushing us around. we don't want to put up with that, so we're trying to maintain a low profile on that, but there is serious worry within the private sector that uh, in Mexico that government officials have not thought this out. I mean, even Europe has approved some GMO events, and Mexico is the only country in the world that has used what they call The precautionary principle, they didn't realize that themselves until uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, Vilsack, went down there and spoke to a number of them. You could say that this is going to be uh, a violation of our USMCA treaty, and it will be, but uh, they haven't violated it yet. So do you issue somebody a speeding ticket before they've ever sped? That's kind of the dilemma that the government has right now. Mexico is doing a really good job of rope-a-dope. They're burning up time. Um, They're pushing this down the road until uh, the next administration has to, the next Mexican administration has to deal with the consequences. They've offered to put a one-year delay on the, the decree. We would need all of that and more to raise non-GMO corn to suit their markets if we were willing to do so. If we, you know, the seed has been bought for the 2023 growing season, plans have been made and we're not gonna, the American farmer's not gonna switch overnight. And even if they could, nobody wants to pay for non-GMO corn. I have a bin full of non-GMO corn. Every year I raise some. Uh, And yet, yeah, somebody will give me 10 cents a bushel more for my non-GMO corn, but it's going to cost me about a dollar to get it to his location in some other state. We don't have a non GMO market where the customer is willing to pay what it takes to get that. Mexico is probably going to find out that they're not going to be able to get the non GMO corn they want at any price.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Mark, you did a really good job at covering all of pretty much all of our questions. One Little topic to ask on some more though, is this has been brought up since December of 2020. So why is it starting to become a larger topic now um, since the fall of 22 and as we move into January more?
0: Well, when it was first announced a couple of years ago, it was just kind of hoping that AMLO was doing this to get a few popularity points with the public, the Mexican public. You know, a populist president can say things that sound really nice and he doesn't actually have to back them up as long as they sound good and you raise your popularity. It's happened in other countries. It's happened here in the past. But as that time has gotten closer and he's not changed his tune, if anything, Amlo has dug in his heels more. There are a few people left in the Mexican government that are aware of the downfall of this decree. A gentleman named Villalobos is the Minister of Agriculture in Mexico, and our Secretary of Agriculture, Vilsack, has spoken with him a number of times, and Villalobos is a science-based person. He's not part of the anti-GMO crowd. He's aware of some of the downfalls of this policy that they could adopt, but he's one of the few that have been left. Uh, AMLO has gradually been replacing some longtime competent ministry officials with people more to his own way of thinking. And uh, the deputy minister of agriculture is a guy named Victor Suarez. And he is as anti-GMO as uh, Amlo's wife. We've been expecting for a while that uh, Villalobos will be nudged out sooner or later. He hasn't been yet, and we hope he isn't at all. But we're not certain. Uh, This is just, as the time is getting closer, the voices within the ag industry in mexico have gotten more and more nervous uh you could say that the next president could change all this overnight yeah he could but what if the next president is of the same party that uh, amlo is a member of um the morena party is the most popular party in mexico and i think they've got about 10 of them all together well amlo formed the morena party and i'm gonna guess that uh as long as AMLO is around, that policy is going to stay the same. And if the next president is from the Morena Party, he's probably not going to change it. Private industry is getting nervous. And as a farmer in Iowa, I'm getting nervous. Uh, my corn doesn't necessarily go directly to Mexico. I go My corn goes to an ethanol plant. But ethanol used to, Mexico was a big customer for uh, ethanol until AMLO re-energize the uh, Mexican Petroleum Company, the state-owned company of Pemex. And Pemex is definitely an anti-ethanol entity. Well, uh, AMLO has given them more power, and ethanol in Mexico is kind of at a standstill right now. If you went to Mexico City, as I have a few times, you'll see that it's one of the most polluted skies in the country, in the world. Uh, ethanol could go a long ways towards cleaning that up, but... Pemex doesn't like that. so you won't see ethanol going down there. as I started out saying, as a corn farmer, Mexico is very important to me here in Iowa. So corn goes down there as in a number of forms, whether as meat or as dried distillers grains, which also come from ethanol, as ethanol or as corn for grain, the whole corn belt relies on Mexico to some degree. and uh, we can't produce the, We don't produce the non-GMO corn they want. In part because they're not going to pay for it, and uh, it would take us a few years to get ramped up. So, as the timetable gets closer to its uh, implementation, which I said was January of 2024, so a year from now, Amlo shows no signs of backing down, and that position is very popular with the voting public of Mexico. I think they're going to have to have food lines and food riots start before anything gets changed. So that's a, once again, I think it's Mexico inflicting its own harm on itself and on its people, but they're not going to realize that until after the pain has started. So Mark, then as we
1: wrap up this conversation and our listeners want to keep a better Tab on how things progress over the next year? What are some good resources or websites or news outlets that we can follow
0: along with this? All right. Um, I'm going to refer first and foremost to the U.S. Grains Council. They have uh, offices in Mexico and staff down there that keep us posted. And they have people that sit in on these meetings between our ag officials and the Mexican ag officials, uh, the trade meetings. The website is www.grains.org. Grains Grains as in grain for corn. www.grains.org. I should say that at any trade negotiation, whether it was through NAFTA and then USMCA or with other countries, uh, we have the U.S. Grains Council, Iowa Corn Growers, National Corn Growers, various states, we've had people at the table if nothing else, we're listening, we're advising quietly. We don't negotiate the deal ourselves, but we educate the people that do the negotiating. And that's something that is done with the chuck off pennies from your bushels. Uh, that's a very good use for it. Absolutely. Well, Mark, we appreciate you jumping on here and sharing your insights.
1: Certainly got a lot more in depth in that topic than what we just reported on from the surface. So we, we do, we really appreciate and uh, are, are very appreciative of your time. Well, Delaney, that was one of the easiest interviews that we did. The gentleman is extremely knowledgeable on the topic and was able to answer the questions before they got asked. So it'll be great to have him back and share that knowledge with our listeners.
2: Absolutely, Mark is a great guy. I've talked to him at a couple of different events and meetings over the years, and he's just really knowledgeable. He has an interesting background, and he's kind of seen and done it all. It seems like
1: absolutely. But today, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. Remember, tomorrow will be a little bit later. But uh, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go?
2: Let's let him go.